Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, uh, episode 30. And uh, before we... We have a guest with us, but before we get to her... Yeah, that's right. Her. I've gotten a couple emails here and there, and... Uh, uh, but that's not... We'll get to that in a minute. Um, so uh, a couple things to get to. First off, uh, I was re-listening to episode 10 the other day and realized that I had made a promise that every 10 episodes I would talk about something like, uh, you know, like a, a basic tenant of filmmaking, like uh, writing or directing. In episode 10, it was acting. Uh, and uh, I guess I forgot to do that with episode 20. Uh, I am also forgetting to do it now. Forgetting is not the word. I'm purposely not doing it uh, because uh, I don't want to talk about those things on my own. There are certain things that I feel more qualified to discuss and certain things I don't. Uh, And so in this case, for example, writing, directing, any of these other things, uh, I will want to have a guest to discuss that with. Um, The problem is, of course, uh, you know, my friends that are directors uh, are busy. They've got they're busy directing things. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, I wanted to try and repeat the, you know, the kind of thing that we do for Battleship Pretension where every, you can count on something every 10 episodes or whatever. But, uh, at the time I think I was still shooting for a weekly show and, uh, yeah, I I think this is just going to have to be what it is. Uh, I will certainly want to do those episodes, uh, at some point, but I'll do them when I get to them. Uh, so yeah, sorry everybody for, uh, for letting you down once again. Anyway, uh, and then the other thing, last uh, last episode, the Toy Story 3 episode, which, by the way, thanks everybody for uh, your encouragement and your kind comments. Uh, so in that episode, um, I mentioned uh, a quote that Edward G. Robinson, uh, Edward G. Edward G. Robinson says, on which he says, where's your Messiah now? Uh, I said that that was from the Bible. It was not. It was from the Ten Commandments. So um, don't get me wrong; it's ridiculous that Edward G. Robinson is in either of them. But uh, but yeah, I uh, I was actually thinking of going back and re-recording that section so that it wouldn't be incorrect. But that you know seemed uh, I don't know seemed insincere or something. Uh, if I make a mistake, uh, it's out there. I put a correction on the website and I'm correcting it now. So um, and uh, for those of you who might have noticed that. Um, Thank you for being polite enough to uh, not email and be like, hey, jerk, uh, you got this fact wrong. But uh, anyway, so uh, with that out of, out of the way, we will talk uh, to our about and to our guest. Um, so, yeah, as I, as I mentioned, uh, I have gotten a couple emails here and there about uh, having uh, a woman on the show. And, um, and I, there were a couple of people that I wanted to have uh, one of the... I have I have Megan Witzke here on the show. Hello, Hello. Megan. Hello. All right. Um, and uh, I wanted I had wanted to have Megan on for a while, but she actually did not live here until quite recently. And lived in uh, the Bible Belt. In you lived in the Bible Belt. Whereabouts? In North Carolina. North I was Carolina. going to school in Raleigh, North Carolina, at NC State University. Okay. Um, and you moved out here when? About two and a half months ago, right in right. the start of June. Okay. And how uh, how are you enjoying Tinseltown, Megan? I am loving it. All the right. weather has been gorgeous today. It is really hot. Up until now, it has been, uh, from what people tell me, the mildest summer in decades in Los Angeles. Yeah, which I wasn't able to enjoy because I was dreading days like today. Um, well, that's I can't too bad for you. you got to get is. out of the house more. I got out of the house. It was fine. It's just that uh, when I was out of the house, I'm like, wow, it's really nice. Man, that other shoe's going to drop any moment. Um, 
But uh, but yeah, so let's uh, let's get to know you a little bit, uh, Megan, since I burned through four minutes of tape <laughs> just uh, tooting my own horn. Um, so you went to so you you just graduated, correct? I did. I, okay. I graduated in May. Um, I was in college for six years. Six years, which sucks. All right. I was ready to I was ready to be out, but. It was good. I, I imagine so after six years. Yeah, yeah. I was I was older, but I realized that by the time I graduated, the people that were coming in as freshmen had been 12 when I started college, which was <laughs> depressing. Yeah, that's always... Uh, Megan and I know a couple of people out here that are that are younger than our, in our group of friends. Uh, I know somebody that is uh, 20, and it is weird to think that when I, that they were 10 when I graduated high school. Yeah, it's a little um, surreal. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, and and every once in a while, I'll get a list, uh, an email from a listener who's like 16 now. So that's I'm 12 <laughs> years older, and I'm just like, oh my gosh. Yep. Um, movies that I have loved for years came out like when they were too young to remember them, mm-hmm. which uh, astounds me. But um, but yeah. So um, this is you and I were talking earlier about what you what you do out mm-hmm. here, um, and and it's interesting because. My my basic understanding of it is that it's graphic design, mm-hmm. um, but that is and you said it was like graphic design, but not quite. So yes. how would you define what it is you specialize in? Uh, I went to school at um, the design school at NC State University, which a lot of people haven't heard of, but it's uh, it's one of the top schools for graphic design in the country. Mm-hmm. And and sort of what it focuses on is more um, less about thinking of design as sort of. Um, I guess there's sort of two schools of thought. One is that design is style. It's um, it's sort of taking an idea that someone else came up with and then basically dressing it and making okay. it look pretty. Um, NC State taught me more to think about constructing the idea from the start so that you're yeah. more an author of an idea instead of just the person who makes it look good right at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and that involves ideas like design thinking, which is just kind of... I actually wrote down a definition because oh I, I have trouble describing what I do sometimes. It's, Fair it's enough. weird to describe it. Okay, so uh, I believe Wikipedia describes design thinking as a process for practical, creative resolution of problems or issues that looks for an improved future result. Um, and it says it combines empathy, creativity, and rationality to meet user needs. And that also mm. speaks to an idea of... it's. Um, it's called user-centered design, which is a philosophy of design that um, instead of basically designing things so that um, you're representing your own ego and your own style and your own right. awesomeness, it's more about thinking of how your product or design or whatever you're creating is going to help the people who use it or encounter it. So that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm about. Um, so in the future, I'd like to focus less on like for example, making brochures and business cards, although I do that all the time and I enjoy mm-hmm. doing that, um, and more about combining these ideas of design thinking and sort of solving big problems with mm-hmm. advocacy and social justice and sort of big ideas. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I'm interested in. So it sounds, I mean, it sounds as though, um, you know, many, many designers, as you say, like there's a, there's a certain ego involved. Mm-hmm. They... They try to make something, and, and you'll run across with this in any, in any kind of art, um, and certainly in filmmaking, uh, specifically I would say in writing, where um, the artist will do something that is admittedly interesting, mm-hmm. but it's interesting in a way that people say, wow, that's interesting, that writer's awesome. Right, exactly. Um, and it sounds like what you're trying to do is, rather than point the finger at yourself, mm-hmm. you're trying to point the finger at the subject. Exactly. And, and trying to champion that and hold that up and say, don't pay attention to me. Look at this. This is the uh, this is the point. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, um, yeah, and it, I think to me it results in designs that are more practical just inherently because you're thinking from the get-go about um, ways to serve other people. Mm -hmm. um, so, you, you know, in other words, like a design wouldn't be good mm. um, if it's not practical, if it can't be used by someone, if it's not, um, if it's not appropriate for the audience. Like, yeah. in other words, it could be really beautiful, but if it's, if it's, um, if it's just pretty with no substance, then mm. that wouldn't be what I consider good design. Um, but... And what I what I have seen of of your design is actually it's very interesting. You mentioned, for example, you mentioned a, a business card. Mm -hmm. uh, business cards are by and large kind of standard, mm -hmm. but we have a friend named Wade mm -hmm. um, who said he he wanted a specific feel yes. for his business card, uh, and you you pulled that off beautifully. It was really it was really fascinating. I believe he described it as almost a 60s retro kind yes. of thing. Yeah, and the thing with Wade was he, and again, this is sort of a way, business cards obviously are sort of a, can't get a whole lot simpler than that in terms mm -hmm. of a design problem, but but Wade um, is a, an aspiring, uh, I guess he wants to go into sort of film production and mm -hmm. um, casting and stuff casting, like that. But yeah, yeah but he, he didn't necessarily want to put a label on his card. Like a lot of people would say, like my right. card might say Megan Witzke, graphic designer, but he didn't want his to say that so that he could kind of, you know, uh, hand it out to a bunch of different people and they wouldn't put him in a box. Mm -hmm. So that lends a problem of how do you, uh, how do you then remember Wade? You know, right. how do you then identify Wade? And Wade has this, um, he's, uh, he wears these very iconic spectacles, the, um, like Ray-Ban glasses that yeah. are his thing. And so we talked about the idea of, of making that sort of an icon on the business card so that people who meet him have this card and kind of remember, oh yeah, that's the guy with the, the mm. with the glasses because the glasses feature prominently in the card. And then they also are sort of in the style of this sort of 60s Saul Bass, madman, yes. yeah, exactly sort of style. So again, that, that, um, represents him in a very specific way and if you meet wade obviously you know wade oh yeah it's very uh it speaks to him i think pretty well so and it's interesting that you that, that you brought up saul bass because um for those that don't know saul bass was a i mean he was a storyboard artist mm -hmm. but he also did opening credits for various films he did the mm -hmm. opening credits for psycho i mm -hmm. believe yep a lot of Hitchcock um, films did he do um you know what i could i could probably go and look it up but it's right over. It's just a, it's over there, and I'm already sitting. Uh, <laughs> did he do uh, Anatomy of a Murder? Yes, he did, okay. and the Vertigo poster right. and the Caviar, all that stuff. Okay, because mm -hmm. all of those just have such a they're they're just so fascinating, and mm -hmm. they're kind of fun. Yeah, absolutely. while also being they they especially with something like Psycho, they just create a general unease. Right, um, and they just really with Hitchcock, especially whose films were always very tense, but you were always having a blast while watching them. Mm -hmm. They really set the tone. Yeah. Just just through design, just through graphic design, right? You know, and it really fascinated me about him, um, and uh, and so I will use this as a uh, transition into uh, you've actually worked uh, as a designer on uh, mm -hmm. some feature films. Yes. Uh, in what capacity was that? Uh, two years ago, while I was still in school, I came out um, for a summer to have an. I was an intern at a um, entertainment marketing firm. I won't say the name of the firm, but. Fair enough. Um, but I worked for them, started off sort of as an intern, and then due to uh, reasons of uh, they were understaffed, I ended up sort of being an art director for them, oh, wow. which basically means um, that I was concepting, coming up with ideas for, for major motion picture posters, and then uh, packaging them, presenting them, uh, 
pitching them and Mm -hmm. then um, doing artwork and stuff in Photoshop for them. And then uh, after I ended up leaving them, I've been working ever since the last two years as a freelance conceptor from North Carolina while I was still in school. And that was super fun. And it basically entailed the uh, creative director sending me a script that, you know, for a movie that hasn't come out yet, I would read it, come up with maybe 15 to 20 concepts um, Mm -hmm. for the film poster for the one sheet and then send it back. And then if it's good, then that would be presented to the producer. and I made a list of the films that I've worked on. So okay. some of them you've probably heard of. Okay. Some of them are TV shows too, but um, Old Dogs. Old Dogs. Not a good film, nope. I would say. The Ugly Truth, also not a good oh film. Oh my. Okay. Really, really awful film. But actually, The Ugly Truth was fun at the time because I, I sort of led that um, while I was at, mm. when I, while I was there this summer. Um, two summers ago I was sort of in charge of that one and that was mm. really fun. I think the ideas we came up with were way smarter than what they ended up choosing, but that's Which okay. Are, uh, uh, we'll 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 revisit the list in a moment, but okay, yeah. uh, those who uh, who know my other podcast, Battleship Pretension, know that one of the very first blogs that I wrote on there was in regards to the marketing campaign for the Ugly That's Truth. That's true. Yes, I remember that. Um, and uh, for those that may not recall, uh, there it was anybody who goes to uh, a restroom uh, at a at a restaurant or, or really anywhere, you'll see those standard man or men and women mm-hmm. signs and so the 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 poster that was all over the place in Los Angeles had uh those two symbols a man and a woman and the woman uh, and then of course uh, a big red heart mm-hmm. uh and on the woman the heart was uh was it over her, it was over her heart it was in the it right was, place it was right? over her heart yeah correct okay. it was over her heart and of course the man uh, his heart was on his cross. Of course, and of course, r- and right under that is the title, "The Ugly Truth." Mm-hmm. And so everything, everything about that bothered me. Uh, I do tend to uh, be something of an apologist for men. Sometimes I realize we can be a little rough, but uh, I- ideas like this, I think, perpetuate mm-hmm. something of a stereotype. Agreed. And so that's that. Of course, is what they wound up with, mm-hmm. or what they decided to go with. Um, and it sounds as though that is not uh, what you suggested. No, although th- that's one of the reasons I have, when I actually moved here, I was offered an art director position um, at a at an entertainment marketing firm. And I turned it down partially because um, it's frustrating to work like behind the scenes and see, I mean, marketing, if you're working in entertainment marketing, you are really working in the pure business side of making oh, movies. Yeah. It is it's funny because people, you know, they hear I'm a graphic designer and they assume, oh, that means I'm an artist. But I feel like when you work in a marketing firm like that, you're so far from art. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. the kind of stuff. I mean, it's frustrating because, yeah, exactly. Like the poster that they came up with, which is interesting that that was actually um, a piece of scrap that the producer gave us, gave us um, that they liked from the beginning. And scrap is basically a piece of clip art something Mm. that someone found on google it's just little ideas or you know scraps of ideas that Mm. people find on the internet and they say maybe this could be um, expanded into a full-fledged poster concept so the producer of that film actually came to us and said they found that little image of the bathroom Mm. icons with the hearts um, on MySpace or something. And they were like, here's an idea that we like. Hmm. You come up with a bunch more. And we worked on it, I mean, I think over a year. And then ultimately, what did they end up doing? Going right with that really basic thing. Um, So it's frustrating to see how little respect the producers and the marketers and everything have for the audience and also just how little they care about any kind of social issues, the truth, you know, uh, feminism, uh, all of that stuff. So it it really doesn't matter if... uh, um, 
if it's talking down to a certain group like men or, or perpetuating a stereotype, they're just concerned about making money. And that's kind of disheartening. Well, it's I mean, it's an interesting thing because um, you and I were talking before before we started recording that uh, that I have something of a for, for somebody who is an aspiring film critic or, or does appreciate the artistic side of of film. Um, I mean, marketing is, as you say, for you, it's a, the, the essential business side. And, and the way I would frame it, it is it is the id of the studio executive. Mm-hmm, it is, yeah. It's it's where they have. Let's say they wind up with a film that they don't like and they have to try to market it. And rather than market it for what it is. And potentially alienate somebody. They right. would try and turn it into something it absolutely is not. True. Uh, a good example of this is the movie Adventureland, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a gr- I really love that movie. I think it's really great. But they tried, and it's it's just a nice little romance that happens to take place at this uh, little Midwest uh, amusement park. Uh, and they tried to, man, they played up that amusement park thing so much. They mm-hmm. tried to make it sound like, like, did your job suck this much and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like anybody going to see that movie. Now, in my case, I went to see it cause it looked, it looked funny. And then I was, and then I was surprised to find that it was this other thing that was still really great. If it, really good, if not even better than what it was, what right, I went in right. to see. But for some people, I'm sure they went in thinking it'd be one thing and wound up, it's like I don't want to see some romance, and so it's just such a the marketing idea is just we need to try to appeal to the largest possible audience, and you don't do that by trying to change the way they think, mm-hmm. you know, by by dumbing things down and saying and saying like, hey, men think with their mm-hmm. uh, you know groin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's appealing to a wide idea that has been. Maybe not consciously, but mm-hmm. been accepted by pretty much everybody. Sort of the lowest common denominator. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it, and all you got to do is appeal to that, and people will know what it is they're going to get, and so they will they will go and see it. And so the frustration. I mean, I uh, first off, I apl- I applaud you for turning down a job that was offered. To, I mean, <laughs> nobody get nobody gets offered a job when they get out here, and so the fact that you that you were offered one and turned it down um, is is in my view very admirable. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, what, like, what are some of the, I mean, you did, you mentioned old dogs, uh-huh, yeah. you know, I mean, I have to assume that the eventual way they went with the, the marketing of that isn't what you had in mind either. No, but you know, even, and again, it, it, I loved that job when it was coming up with really interesting concepts and sort mm-hmm. of getting to the root of an idea. And of course in that, I'm not so much concerned with, um, I'm thinking more about sort of coming up with with just the right feel and communicating the right tone and being true to the, to what the movie is trying to say. Mm-hmm. Whereas the marketers come back and say, um, in the case of the ugly truth or something or the, uh, the, or old dogs, you know, we're trying to make this, um, you know, a Catherine Heigl vehicle, you know, right. so we want to show it as that way, or we wanted to make it seem like an edgy romantic comedy or, mm-hmm. okay, now we're going more for the feel of an R rated Judd yeah. Apatow type, whatever, right. you know, so they're coming from it, more from like a money making standpoint, obviously, mm-hmm. but but something like Old Dogs um, was it's it, I don't know it's kind of hard to find the fun when you're working on that just because when you read the <laughs> script you're like oh this is just awful yeah and and that's that's part of the frustration too is like y- you come to realize that your whole job a lot of the time is trying to s- to make people want to see a sucky movie and yeah. to spend money 
on a movie that I in real life I would never want them to watch. So yeah. and of course you know that's life sometimes, but but it is kind of frustrating, especially even to see just the the whole process of of coming up with a poster is so inefficient and takes so long, and it's amazing to think that years and hundreds of thousands of dollars go into these marketing campaigns that a lot of time are selling something like Old Dogs or The Ugly mm. Truth. That's an awful movie, really. Have you worked on anything that I I, I interrupted the, no, the list you were making? Me. Have you worked on anything that you really could get behind? You got behind the product mm-hmm. and you got behind the campaign they used to sell it. Um, if the answer is no, it's fine. It's understandable. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think. Uh, we I worked on year one. Okay. And when I read the script, I thought the script was hilarious. The movie, I thought, was disappointing the way that it was executed. Mm. But the script, I actually thought, was really funny. And so I was really excited about that coming out. And we came up with some really fun concepts for that that I thought were really cool. Um, I think what they ended up going with for the poster was boring. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It it is astounding. Because I have to assume something like a comedy that takes place, you know, like basically a prehistoric comedy. I mean, that it's that seems like it could give you a lot of a lot of ideas a lot of of things to do with yeah exactly um yeah and it's just amazing like you'll come up with these really complicated awesome concepts it takes two days to build it in photoshop and you'll maybe do 50 of those and then they'll pick that one you know that's Mm -hmm. super simple that happens all the time um but but year one was something i really enjoyed working on I, Mm -hmm. i could get behind that movie um and uh and again, it's it's interesting because it's working backwards. You don't necessarily know that the movie's going to be good. You might know the script is good, but right. you know, again, year one, I thought the script was great. And the movie was not so great. Um, one of the one of the the scripts that I enjoyed reading the most um, actually still hasn't come out, and I don't know if it's ever going to come out because I think it was supposed to come out like two years ago and it never did. But it's called All Good Things, mm-hmm. um, starring Ryan Gosling. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah, and uh, according to IMDb, it's supposed to come out in 2010. I don't know if it's going to come out this year or not. Mm-hmm. But um, but I thought the script was really good, and I thought it was really compelling. Again, who knows if the acting is going to support that, and if the movie's going to come out well. But um, I enjoyed that, and the the concepts we were coming up with were really sophisticated. So, have, have there been have there ever been jobs where the the producers or the the management, the higher ups? Mm-hmm. Um, they really give you a free hand and they're just really open to any ideas you have. I mean, it sounds like with, with some of the projects, they're just like, Oh, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. We're not doing that. Yeah. Um, in terms of concepting, uh, and again, you might come up with hundreds of concepts or something. Mm -hmm. Um, you can kind of do whatever you want. You're, you're a lot of the times limited by the photography that you have. Sometimes like in the case of the ugly truth, we had a lot of really good concepts that we couldn't execute because they didn't want to do a photo shoot. Um, they had already finished filming by the time we were making posters and the, the, the producers didn't want to go back and do a photo shoot with the lead stars. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up having to construct posters, um, from the unit photography, which is just the photography that, you know, the, the photographers take, um, backstage while they're the actors are working so you kind of just you have, you're very limited with what you can work with mm-hmm. other than that in terms of creating concepts we really can do whatever we want it's the producers that end up once they see they, they kind of want to see everything they, mm-hmm. they won't limit you in at the get-go they'll say show me everything you've got um of course what ends up happening is they'll choose inevitably something that is serving the lowest common denominator that right. they think is going to make them the most money but um it's you can come up with some really fascinating stuff that if the public saw it, I think it would, you know, mm-hmm. be really good. But, um, yeah, it, so it's not it's not necessarily that they come to us and they say, no, we don't even want to see that. It's just that, you mm-hmm. know, in the long run, they're only picking one thing. So you might show them hundreds of things. Right. But, yeah, 
You know, uh, we 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 do need to to start moving on, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, it is something that that's fascinating. Uh, as I've come out here, I, I have I've come to realize just how how much goes into every single aspect of filmmaking. Oh, yeah. I mean, nothing is ever just cut and dry. I mean, it, no matter how simple a decision seems, it's. I mean. There's usually a committee making it uh, for for good or ill. I mean, this happens in good movies as well. I mean, just it is a collaborative effort, no matter no matter what it is you're making. Um, and so, even something as seemingly simple mm-hmm. as the poster, right? You know, I mean, so much can go into it, and it just uh, and it just it is something that has that has really fascinated me as I've gotten out here. Because even in film school, they didn't they didn't show us every aspect Mm -hmm. i mean it's i mean and to a certain extent i it has given me a a small degree of sympathy for studios Mm -hmm. because no wonder budgets are so are so big is because they need to they have a lot of people on staff for any one movie oh yeah um and so they need to make that money back which means when it comes to the marketing (laughs) they got to try to appeal to everybody and so it's uh it's an interesting process um i think we're gonna we're gonna take a break I like that we focused so much on the 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 graphic design and the and there was there was a, another word the one from Wikipedia that you design thinking up. design thinking mm-hmm. um, you know we focused on that and yet that is not at all the reason <laughs> that I asked you to be on the show it's just a delightful byproduct um, but yeah we are going to be talking about the film uh, Agora um, but uh, we're going to take a break first and when we come back we will discuss that movie so uh, we'll be right back. We're back. Hello. With Megan Witzke. Um So uh, before we get into the movie, I will give you some background on how we arrived at this movie because chances are you haven't heard of it. That's all right. Neither had I. Um, it's unfortunate. It's quite good. Yeah. And uh, don't move right into the review, Megan. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, it might be good. So, who knows? Stay tuned. <laughs> uh, that was ridiculous. We're leaving it in, though. Um, so back, back on the old, on the old more than one lesson forum, uh, one of the, uh, one of the listeners, uh, uh, challenged me, uh, it was a tongue in cheek kind of challenge I, I came to realize, but, uh, but challenged me to see, uh, this movie called, uh, Agora, which I, I mean, he's, I had not heard of at all, which is fascinating to me because, uh, it had like a seventy million dollar budget. It's an old, uh, not old. I mean, it's you know, it's it's a period piece. It's got Rachel Weisz. I mean, she's mm-hmm. got a, she has a following. She's not necessarily a huge star, but I mean, she's got an Oscar. People like her. Um, and uh, and this thing just uh, was under the radar of a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I don't even really know how this guy found out about it, but uh, but nonetheless. Um, he he challenged me to see it, and the reason that it was a challenge, uh, as opposed to just "Hey, you should see this," w- had to do with the film's content. And um, I, by the way, I am not going to be revealing why I invited Megan for this episode 
for a while until we start getting into the basic <laughs> themes and application. Uh, so it's a mystery. I'm still interested in your your point of view. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but uh, but let's just remember it's my show. Um, <laughs> Megan and I are friends, by the way. So if you hear me picking on her, that's that's that's. I'm not crying is. silently. I promise. In the background. Um, so here we go. Uh, Agora uh, it was directed by Alejandro Amenabar who uh, directed Abre Los Ojos, which people will know probably more uh, as the remake Vanilla Sky, uh, or the movie that Vanilla Sky was based on, more specifically. Uh, He wrote and directed a wonderful movie that I cannot recommend enough called The Others, which uh, is one of the few films that I really, really embrace uh, Nicole Kidman in. Uh, She can be a rather icy actress, uh, but that really fits her character and the others, and it's just it's just a pleasure to watch. Uh, and then uh, his film, The Sea Inside, uh, won uh, Best Foreign Film for 2004, I believe. Um, and so he's a, he's a director who who puts out a very just a quality product. And uh, in this in this with this film, he co-wrote it with uh, Matteo Gill. Um, and what it is about, you know what? I'm going to let the guest describe it mm. because I listened back to some episodes in the past and I talk a lot. <laughs> and there's no real reason for me, as opposed to anybody else, to give the the summary of what the film is about. So, in your own words, I'm sorry, am I putting you on the spot? Uh, not so much, but you can correct me if I say things that okay. are incorrect because I could very easily uh, mis- yeah. misremember some of the names. It's, a, it, it's been about a month, month and yeah, a half since like we that. saw the movie, yeah. so it uh, might be a little shady on some of the, a little sketchy on some of the details. But yeah. go ahead, Megan. It's basically, um, it's sort of the setting is sort of the, the Library of Alexandria, correct? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and the Rachel Weiss plays Vice, I'm sorry, yeah. plays uh, Hypatia. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Hypatia. Uh, Hypatia, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, who is this? She's a woman in this period where women don't have very much value, um, you know, and, and no particular political rights, et cetera. Um, but she is a philosopher. She, um, her father is the curator of the uh, Alexandria Library, and she is taking uh, after in his footsteps and mm-hmm. um, is extremely intelligent. She's a teacher. She uh, teaches uh, sort of philosophy and science early science to um a group of men in uh that are roman citizens i believe Mm. um she is an atheist she um is a humanist she um they're sort of living in a time where um Romans are coming up against a lot of uh, opposition from the christians who are becoming Mm. a much larger political force they're starting to um to have more of a say they're gaining more um I guess, more ground um, and being taken more seriously. Uh, at the same time, I think the Romans kind of see them as a, as a threat. They, they aren't a yeah. big fan of them taking over power. Um, and so the, the movie is sort of about Hypatia, but also about the, the conflict that's going on between the Romans and the Christians mm-hmm. and, and what happens as a result of that. Did I, I th- represent that? Mm-hmm. No, I think I think that's a very good uh, a very good basis for uh, from which to to discuss the film. Um, so, th- one of the I would say the primary um, dramatic push of the film has to do with the the fight between the Christians and the the old guard, yes, uh, the the Romans with and 
and just uh, and as you mentioned, the Christians are becoming more powerful, and in more and in this case, power means the ability to hurt. Yes, uh, and because it, it all it all really kicks off when uh, the Christians are starting to to gather, and there's and uh, there's starting to be higher numbers in their gatherings, mm-hmm. and uh, the Romans are not uh, excited about this, and mm-hmm. so they decide we need to try and put these people down so they get a so the Romans get a lot of people revved up mm-hmm. um to go and just slaughter a bunch of Christians mm-hmm. only to find <laughs> that the Christians there are too many of them. Yes. And uh and they push back mm-hmm. and win. Yes. Pretty much. And uh and so so after that initial uh slaughter, I mean plenty of people on both sides mm-hmm. get get hurt. Um then all of a sudden the Christians are no longer this uh this dissident force, and they are a major. Poli- I mean, they're basically invited to the table. Mm-hmm. They take over the city yeah. of Alexandria, or basically, they they yeah. take over the library and, and all that stuff. Right? And so, when when you know later in the in the film, I think I think a couple of years has passed, maybe mm-hmm. one year has passed. Yeah. And uh, at this point, I mean, when when it comes time for the the you know the the heads of the city to talk about, I mean, there's. The, the people that represent Rome, the people that represent Christianity, mm-hmm. and the people that represent Judaism. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, in, in a very short period of time, Christianity and Judaism just gain a huge foothold mm-hmm. politically uh, in in this city. Right. And and then, of course, then there's fights between the Christians and the Jews. Mm-hmm. And, it's and just, the Christians and different sects of Christianity. Yeah. yeah. It, just, it just does not stop. And in the midst of all this... Um, and we and there are I was I was surprised at how many characters were allowed to be fully developed three dimensional characters. Yeah, I yeah. really thought it was going to be Rachel Vice and then a bunch of uh, bunch of stereotypes exactly, or, or the same thing or device or like a dramatic device like mm-hmm. this character. You don't really know or care why he does something. It's just enough that he does do it. Um, and so uh, it was really uh, really exciting uh, that because. So as as Megan mentioned, um, Hypatia is an atheist, and so she we see these events pretty much through her eyes, mm-hmm. and of course she's horrified that uh, that all these that these various religions are are causing so much bloodshed, and so herein comes the the quote unquote challenge. As I said, it was kind of tongue in cheek, um, the challenge uh, by the listener to to talk about the film uh, on the show because this is a Christian show. And um, and there are plenty of non-Christians who listen to it, and uh, and this is a this is a problem uh, for the modern day Christian. Is what do you do when you are faced with the fact of Christian cruelty mm-hmm. uh, in the in the past and in some cases in the present? Yep. Um, and so that's that's where the challenge comes in because. Uh, we are by far most on the side of Hypatia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that challenge, I really expected this film to be way preachier than it was. Right. I expected it to be like a, like a Michael Moore film. Anybody who listens to uh, the other show knows uh, what uh, low respect <laughs> I have for Michael Moore as a, as somebody, as a philosopher because he just has no interest in your in yours um and i thought that's what this film was going to be and mm-hmm. it isn't it it really as i said it just really sketches out all the characters it's fairly it even-handed matter, yeah no matter what they believe um it shows the positives and the negatives hypatia is not 
always a likable character. No, yeah. I mean, she is very privileged. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you know, you you never forget that she is. She's a woman in a position of power, and you know that if her father wasn't who who he is, she wouldn't have that. Right. And so she, you do feel, you do kind of know that she's very privileged. They have slaves. It never occurs to her that maybe this shouldn't be. Right. Um, not to cast aspersions on her. It didn't occur to anybody at yeah. the time that this shouldn't be. Um, Except Christians. <laughs> well, hang on. Um, you're getting ahead of me. Here, Megan. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I really, and there, there are moments, I mean, there's a, a character who, uh, you think is going to be unlikable. Uh, the character's name is uh, Orestes, played mm-hmm. by Oscar Isaac, who it took me a long time to figure out where I had seen him before. I had just seen him in the movie Robin Hood. He plays Prince oh, John. Okay. Um, and uh, a very good actor. I really like him. Um, and he is one of her students, and he uh, proclaims his love for Hypatia. Um, and her response, I will not say it because <laughs> it's kind of gross. It's very blunt. Very, very blunt. <laughs> um and uh, but her response is is a little little mean, yeah. a little cruel. She and shuts so, him down. Very, very much so. Yeah. And I mean, I guess this is women take notes. If some <laughs> if a guy asks you out and uh, you do not hold him in that kind of you regard, want a creative way to turn down the man. Yeah, just watch Agora. Watch Agora. It'll give you all kinds of tools. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So what what fascinated me was the idea of. The film uses the the kind of religious wars as a background that does, of course, affect our characters, but it's still about these characters mm-hmm. first and foremost. Um, and that is what that is something I did not expect, but should have given the filmmaker. Yes, you know, um, the sea inside is about. I mean, it's about a guy who wants to die. And fighting for his own right mm-hmm. to die. Now, of course, regardless of what your opinion is on that issue, I thought it, it is an issue film. And I thought, okay, well, this thing is, I mean, it's not going to, this thing is just going to be about the issue and not about the character. He's going to be held up as this saint and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, that the, the, the characters in that film are also very three-dimensional. He's just, he's a mature filmmaker uh, interested in starting a conversation. Um, and, uh, and of course, if you go online and read all kinds of, uh, comments on, uh, Netflix and stuff, I mean, people really hold this film up as, mm-hmm. as, uh, as an atheist, uh, an- as an atheist anthem of mm-hmm. some sort. And, uh, and I guess if you are an atheist or an agnostic, you could look at it that way, but I think it's, there's stuff in this film that everybody, regardless of what you believe, everybody can get something out of it. Yeah. Um, and so uh I guess we can move into I guess we can move into well I, you know I've been talking for a while and before we move into the the strictly thematic elements uh of the of the film uh I'll throw it to you and ask uh were was there anything specific uh that I haven't talked about that you wanted to to mention is something that you really liked or didn't like about the film um I think you've already touched on this, but I, I just really appreciated how even-handed it was. I didn't mm-hmm. think... Um, I mean, I thought it was really interesting just to see... Uh, Roger Ebert in his review pointed out that um, in in 
movies that are like this, typically the Christians are always seen as the good guys. Mm-hmm. I thought it was actually really interesting to see the reality um, of that not all Christians are good guys. Yeah. And and that these early Christians, you know, we, I don't know, I guess we think of them as sort of, when we read the Bible, these these traveling around peacemakers, they're yeah. doing good, they're loving on each other. Um, and and this depicted, you know, how a lot of Christians early on really used the religion um, for political reasons and, mm. you know, and, and how power can corrupt. And I just thought that was really interesting, even just from a sociological view. It's just interesting to see how Christianity existed in, in the context of, of what was going on politically at that time with the Romans and everything. And I thought this is also from the Ebert Review, but he had this quote that I thought was really true was that he said, um, Christians and pagans are equally blinded by the conviction that those who disagree deserve death in this mm-hmm. movie, which I thought was really true. And, and it's interesting that you say that people see this film as sort of an atheist, um, I guess, supporting an atheist view. But I, yeah. I really feel like, if anything, it's just saying that um, people in power tend to feel like that if they're right, other people should be forced to either agree with them or be destroyed in some way. And, and yeah. that happens in to every group in this movie. The atheists do it, the Christians, the Jews. Um, it's I thought that was interesting and true. There is a character in the film. Uh, so there's there's a couple f- uh, characters that are really interesting. Uh, there's there's a couple characters that really fascinate me. One of them is a character named uh, Ammonius. I do. I am not going to be able to pronounce this guy's name. The actor his name is uh, Ashraf Barham. Um, That's right. I'm probably I probably mangled that. Uh, but that character is man. He's such a fascinating guy because. He is a he's a Christian. He's like a true believer. He's got a lot of zeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you first see him, he is, you know, showing this miracle of God. And it's and of course, the miracle is actually it's almost a trick. I don't know if he knows that, mm-hmm. but it's just it's about the, the physics of, of fire, yeah. for example. Um, but uh, so there's that. And you see him get really aggressive, violently aggressive towards somebody. And then uh, a couple scenes later. He is feeding the he's feeding the poor. He's feeding mm-hmm. people who don't have anything to eat, and then he is responsible for somebody's uh, not a not a murder, but it might as well be. I mean, yeah. he's he's in charge of this this group of Christians that are very very aggressive and mm-hmm. very violent. Yeah, and and so it what fascinates and and the the actor does a wonderful job of showing how does. these two contradictions can exist within the same person that the same zeal that can lead him to uh feed the hungry would also lead him to be like wait a minute you don't want to feed the hungry maybe if you're dead everything will be fine (laughs) and so um so he he just does a really wonderful job and and his characters is at times a little disturbing i mean Mm -hmm. i could i could definitely see how if you're an atheist or an agnostic you look at a character like that and you're like that is what i don't want to be so that's one character. There's another character. You mentioned the idea of power corrupting. Mm-hmm. There's a character named Cyril. Mm-hmm. All right. And Cyril, uh, he, you don't really hear much about him until after Christianity has started to take power in the city. And he is the head of Christianity in Alexandria at this time. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the actor who plays him is uh, Sami Samir. And... Um, and the character, admittedly, is not allowed a lot of room to develop. Um, and he is the face of corruption. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is, it, it, it's fascinating because he's the one who pretty much, you, you, you'll probably know going in that Rachel Weiss's character does not make it, uh, through the whole film, mm-hmm. uh, because in this world of 
one kind of religion or another and this level of violence and people struggling for power this woman who already her being a woman is is a distancing thing Mm -hmm. but her being a woman who is an atheist i mean is gonna put her on the outs with somebody at some point exactly she's naive enough to think that she can stay out of the tussle by by not taking any one particular view and of course that doesn't work out so well does not work out so well (laughs) um and uh and cyril actually but she does have a strong association a friendship with uh this character orestes who is uh, like the Roman representative uh, in Alexandria. Mm-hmm. And so Cyril knows that Orestes is good friends with her. And so he actually targets her. And he ha- he doesn't really have a problem with her atheism mm-hmm. or her being a woman until it can serve a political purpose. Exactly. And and then all of a sudden he starts denouncing all these things. He takes, ver- you know, he takes various, uh, uh, you know, he takes scripture mm-hmm. and it's there. Mm-hmm. He takes it out of context. He doesn't pair it with anything else, mm-hmm. but he uses it and uh, and uses it to convince people that she's she has to die, mm-hmm. and uh, and he does it. You know, at the the character of Ammonius, though he is deeply flawed and kind of a, a bad guy at times, he at least is a true believer. I'm not sure if Cyril is. I think he recognizes. Yeah. The power that religion, this religion can have over people, and if he's at the head of it, man, oh man, mm-hmm. no question, this is the thing to do. Yep. And so, um, but I do want to, I do want to say that, uh, I, I do want to start getting into some of the, uh, some of the themes now, um, because, um, and I, I guess, I guess as I get into the themes, uh, we'll get into the second film, but, um, but I don't want to do that just yet. I do want to say that there's, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is the seeming rivalry between religion and science. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things we're going to talk about. That's not what this episode is about. We're about, it's about something even larger than that, and that's pretty big itself. Um, and there's one thing that that the film does so right. You can't films don't do this very often. Hypatia is she's a philosopher, she's a teacher, and she's an astronomer. Mm-hmm. And she's fascinated by the stars. She's fascinated by how the, the universe works. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of the film is devoted to her research and her mm-hmm. discovery of things. And and it really engenders the, this love in the viewers mm-hmm. as well. And just the, the excitement of discovery, the excitement of... Uh, inherent in the scientific method of trying something mm-hmm. to try to try and figure something out this isn't working this isn't working this isn't working wait a minute this might work mm-hmm. and just the you feel so exhilarated yeah. when when she starts to discover things and you know there are a lot of people and we'll, we'll get into this in in the companion film but there are a lot of people i've talked to in my life i'm sure same with you a lot of christians who have Who've taken something of a mocking tone when it mm-hmm. comes to science, as if the term science is <laughs> itself evil. Yeah. Um, and just be like, oh, with all your science, right. it, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and there doesn't have to be a rivalry between the two. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, in many ways, science is just a way of discovering more about God's creation. Exactly. And the more you discover, the more appreciation you'll have exactly. for it. Exactly. And uh, and the those scenes with Hypatia those those really stu- stuck with me because you're not usually anytime a character is thinking 
uh, and you just feel like, okay, uh, I'm bored, or the filmmaker's bored, or they don't have fa- the filmmaker doesn't have enough faith in this. A, a, a good example, I think, is a movie like A Beautiful Mind, mm-hmm. which anytime Russell Crowe's character is realizing, like, you know, finding the pattern in all of these things. Right. Um, Ron, How it's a perfectly fine film, but they could have just held on his face and let us realize, oh my God, and, and held on his exhilaration, but instead they wanted to try and put us inside his mind mm-hmm. so that maybe then we'll understand how exciting this all is. Right. Um, and I, to me, it, it always kind of bothered me that it just felt like, I understand this is a big deal, you don't need to try this hard. To, you don't have to get visual effects involved uh, to show me how interesting this is. Right. Um, but that's my personal opinion. Uh, I don't require that everybody believe that. By the way. <laughs> um, but, uh, but with this in mind, I think I do want to get into the companion film, mm-hmm. which is uh, and and when I put this when I put this episode uh, or Agora when I put it out there that I was going to be. Uh, talking about it, I did hear a couple other uh, suggestions for what the companion film could be. Uh, one of them was uh, The Passion of Joan of Arc, which is a perfectly, uh, for various reasons, a really, a really good companion film. Uh, but uh, thematically, or at least what I want to talk about thematically, uh, the, f- the movie Inherit the Wind uh, fit very well. Um, and it came out in 1960. It was directed by Stanley Kramer, a director who I'm a big fan of. He directed uh, Judgment at Nuremberg. Um, and he was not afraid to take on uh, issues that might bother some people. Um, now, of course, when you're one of the first people to take on a certain issue, there will be a certain heavy-handedness that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a good example of that is a movie called The Lost Weekend, which was one of the first movies to really deal with alcoholism in a, in a major mm-hmm. way. And you watch it, and it's like, oh, man, this is really heavy. But it's such is the case when you're dealing with something that's the first. Um, but uh, now I had seen Inherit the Wind before, but I recently rewatched it in preparation for this. Um, and uh, Megan, this is your first time seeing yes, it, I correct? Yes, I hadn't seen it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the, for those, I, I won't go into a lot of detail because we're running a little short on time, but it's about the Scopes Monkey Trial. Um, and it's based on a play that was written during uh, McCarthyism, mm-hmm. and so much like uh, the Crucible, it was using uh, like uh, something that was in the fairly recent memory of uh, of, of people, something mm-hmm. everyone knew about uh, to as a as an allegory right. for uh, McCarthyism and uh, and the the horror uh, of of that. Um, but uh, it's about the, the the Scopes Monkey Trial, which was. Uh, a guy named John, a teacher named John Scopes, was teaching the theory of evolution to his t- students, which was at the time illegal. Um, and uh, he uh, was arrested for it. And then two separate, uh, a guy named uh, a, a very famous lawyer named Clarence Darrow came to defend him. Mm-hmm. And then a very famous uh, politician, politician. Yeah. named William Jennings Bryan came down to uh, to be the prosecutor. Mm-hmm. And um, and it really brought this debate to the forefront of uh of uh america you know to the the forethought of america forethought that's not the right thing Eh, anyway um so that's that's basically what it's about and uh but i want to get your i want to get your take on it megan what did you think of uh inherit the wind i liked it i 
I think the parts that I, I was a little bored and distracted by some of the like romantic subplots and some right. of that stuff, you know. But um, I thought the actual debates in the courtroom were really interesting and lots of really great quotes. And actually, I thought it was really cool because some of the most compelling arguments that were made in the film really happened. Like there's a part mm-hmm. in the film where um, the Darrow character calls the Brian character up as a witness yeah. um, against his own case. He, he calls him as a witness for the prosecution or no, I'm sorry, for a witness for the defense. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Um, and, and that actually happened. It seems like kind of a, yeah. a theatrical device, but that, that's really what, what Darrow did, which I thought was really interesting. And, and a lot of the, the arguments that he uses to sort of discount, um, this this idea that the Bible uh, has to be interpreted only in this one way, which goes right. against science. Again, th- those arguments were made in real life, and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, um, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it it was definitely a film that I, I wasn't expecting it to be as again even handed, similar to Agora. I think it yeah. presented both sides in an interesting, fair way. Yeah, it's uh, also just if you're a fan of great acting, as I oh, am. Yeah. Spencer Tracy plays uh, Henry Drummond, which is the Clarence Darrow character um and i'm a I, you know spencer tracy was never really in the f- in the the forefront is what i should have said earlier at uh, the <laughs> forefront i was thinking of it while you were talking i don't really know what you said but anyway um that's a joke uh that spencer tracy has never really been in the forefront of my brain as a great actor but he is a great actor because he's just effortless yeah he just inhabits the character Absolutely. inhabits the situation and just just lets go you know, he's completely believable, completely believable. And uh, and so him playing this char- this really well written, well developed character was really fascinating. And then one of my favorite actors named Frederick March plays Matthew Harrison Brady, which is, of course, the, the Brian character. Um, and uh, and it's and his performance is interesting because he it's it's a surprisingly twitchy performance. Yeah, it um, is. He uh, it's almost comical. Yeah. I mean, uh, Frederick March is an actor. I mean, he won Best Actor twice for. Uh, very different types of roles. He was in the best years of our lives. He's just he's not he's one of my favorites. I, I'm a big fan of him. Um, and uh, and there are scenes where he the, the nature of the character because he's a politician who like ran for president several times and everything he says is big and and he and he often panders to the crowd because mm-hmm. he knows the crowd is on his side. And uh, and so Frederick March plays those scenes as they should be played, which is big. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I, what what did interest me about about uh, the Matthew Harrison Brady character and and in March's performance is that he is allowed moments behind the scenes where he's not so big, where he's a, a perfectly genial guy. He knows Henry Drummond. They they you know they've known for known each other for decades, and so you see the the friendship and. The fact that they've drifted apart, and you see the effect that that had on him. Um, you see how important it is, and this this could be a some could in, interpret this as a character flaw. I don't necessarily think it is. I think it just is a humanizing thing. You see how important it is for him to be liked. Um, and there's a part where, when he's on the stand, Drummond just spins him in circles, and people kind of laugh at him. And you see him later on talking to his wife and just how much it hurts him to be laughed at, to be the subject of ridicule by people that, that previously loved him, you know? Um, and so it's a very, it's a very human character and you don't expect him to be. No. Um, because you know, you, I mean, it's, it's clear what the, what the film thinks, whose side the film is on. Um, but, uh, and you think that this character is just going to be seen as wholly 
negative. Um, and so the fact that it allows him those moments uh, speaks to the the film trying to be even-handed. Um, but uh, it should be noted there's a, there's a part early on, and I and I'm so happy that I that I watched the film with you because because I had forgotten all about this. Um, <laughs> the uh, there's a part early on when when uh, Bertram Cates was this who's the the Scopes uh, version. Um, he uh, he's been arrested, and the city fathers are are talking about uh, what are they going to do with him, and none of them seem that bothered. In fact, nobody in town seems that bothered by what happened. I mean, you know, Cates is allowed to play chess with uh, or play cards with uh, the jailer. He's he doesn't have to stay in his cell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nobody seems to really care that much until the city fathers realize that you know. This is a big issue, and uh, we could really make this a big deal. Like people from all over the state, if not the whole country, could you know tune in to find out what's going on here. We're turning it into a tourist attraction, almost. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so, they make a much bigger deal out of it when it means they could get something out of it that has nothing to do with their ideology, mm-hmm. nothing to do with their philosophies. And so in that way, I'm reminded, I was reminded of Cyril mm, that he yeah. didn't have a problem with Hypatia until he could get something out of it. Um, he may have disagreed with her, of course, but, uh, but he only used it when it meant that he could get more power out of it. And right. the city fathers, it meant more money if they made a bigger deal out of it. So they made a big deal out of it. And there's that scene where Cates talks about um, the people around him's differing motivations for for defending him. There's mm-hmm. the reporter that's trying to get this sensational news story out of yeah. it. And there's the defender that's trying to make a point out of this. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's almost like he forgets why he's even in this issue. He's just become yeah. a pawn for these political forces. You know, it's really not so much about this little issue anymore. It's become this big political uh, power struggle and it's a big deal for for brady as well everybody everybody in this thing sees it their own way and right. sees what they can get out of it and how and they all realize that it's it's so much bigger than this one case and it is admittedly but um but yeah and so that's that's something that that struck me just one of the similarities in between um between these these films um but yeah i i highly recommend it i know that uh there are some christians who are going to be like ah it makes us look bad and um much, much in the same way as with Agora, and a movie like Kingdom of Heaven, um, where they, where they're just Christians, and I, I, I've been one of them, uh, where you just don't want to see it because you don't want to make your, you don't want to look bad or you don't want to acknowledge this, and uh, the fact is, and and this is where we're gonna start getting into, <laughs> where we're gonna start getting into why Megan is here. <laughs> um, we made ourselves look bad. Mm-hmm. The fact that these people are merely showing that, it doesn't speak ill of them. It speaks ill of us. Mm-hmm. And to me, one of the... I mean, in Agora, for whatever reason Cyril has, um, the fact is, he he says, this woman is not like us. Let's kill her. Right. In Inherit the Wind, the City Fathers, for whatever reason say this man does not agree with us let's punish him let's put him in prison there's no discussion going on there's no 
There's no listening. No listening. Oh, my, no. <laughs> I was about to say debate. Yeah. yeah. No, forget listening. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, and so... There's a lot of yelling. A lot of yelling. Holding up of, of uh, sensationalist placards. Yeah. And that, to me, is the... Just the... That's, like, the worst thing. Mm-hmm. Because it uh, it implies a couple of things. One... When somebody disagrees with you and you punch them in the face, it implies that the thing they're agreeing with you on, you cannot defend. Right. Because there is no defense. So if there's no defense, the, o- the only recourse I have is to shut them up. Right. And there's a, there's a documentary that came out this year about Joan Rivers. And uh, it's a wonderful film. I'm a big fan of it. But uh, she says something interesting in that. She says, you know, the one thing that I will never say to somebody is shut up. I'll call them an idiot. I'll, yeah, I'll say any number of things. But the won't, one thing I won't say is shut up. Because there's just something inherently... It just implies I have no interest in anything you have to say. And that that attitude is is very bothersome. And that's the attitude displayed in these films. And the attitude displayed often in the Christian community, mm-hmm. past and present. And so here's where we... Here's where we come to you, Megan. <laughs> it's because uh, I'm a bad Christian because I, Megan I don't like bad, to listen to people. This is an intervention. It's a one-person <laughs> intervention. Megan, I've had it up to here. Um, Megan, uh, so we talked about you, your experience as a, as a designer and, mm-hmm. and all of that, uh, design thinker. Uh, but the, re- the reason that I wanted to have you on the show is that you have a history of... I believe the word is forensics. Yeah. Um, well, forensics is an organization. I don't know if anybody out there has, has done it. It's it's uh, it has debate. There's public speaking. There's it's how I first got into. Um, I did some acting, and it's mm-hmm. just kind of general. It introduces you to um, public speaking and debate um, and competition mm-hmm. and and things like that. Yeah. And so you did it in middle school, high school, high school, college, high school, and then I also did I did forensics in high school, and then I did model UN, Harvard Model Congress, okay. where you you know play a Congress person, and yeah. So high school, not not middle school. I'm, high I'm school, wrong. Correct. Just, I, just I did do public speaking and speech competitions in middle school, okay. but I didn't get into to organize debate until high okay. school. Um, and so the reason that I wanted to have you here is to give is honestly to give some tips. I, I mean, I wanted to get your your opinion of these films because it is the the nature of of uh, of debate is wanting to make points and get and and make it clear that you have thought about this and it's not just this thing that you are doing haphazardly and that in this case Christianity has its place in the marketplace of ideas absolutely and that it's it should be allowed a seat at the table uh, philosophically. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, but there are not everybody, you know, I, I've, I've done, I've read a, li- a little bit of apologetics. I've read some stuff here and there. C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. uh, is the big one that I've read. Um, but there's plenty of people out there. Tim Keller is a guy I really like. Mm-hmm. Then there's some who go, uh, more into the science thing and that's where you lose me cause I don't know <laughs> anything about science. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who, who would say like, you don't know anything about science. So I guess that's why you embrace Christianity. Uh, it's possible nobody said that uh, listening to this, <laughs> but I've heard it said in debates right. uh, with other people. Right. So um, I don't want to make a straw man out of my listeners, but that is a real person that existed somewhere out there. Um, and there are a lot of Christians that warrant that oh, yes. viewpoint. You know, that's that's part of the problem. And and there's a 
there's actually a um I, I talked earlier about like a Christian attitude towards science. It's it's really evident in the character of Matthew Harrison Brady. I mean, there's a part where um when he's on the he's on the stand and Drummond uh picks up a rock and he says, "Do you know how old this is?" And Brady, who's who is very much playing for uh playing to the audience and not really answering the question, he says, I'm more concerned with the rock of ages, not the ages of rock. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Kind of <laughs> funny, but uh, very clever in the moment. Right. But it's dismissive. Right. And it says, what you have to say is not important. Science is not important. None of these things are important. And while I do believe that, of course, God is the most important thing, it's to the exclusion of all else mm-hmm. is, is, I think, a... Uh, a detrimental attitude. Yeah. So I wanted to get your your opinion uh, and and some advice for me and for others about you know when you are when you're a Christian having a discussion and in some cases a debate mm-hmm. with a non Christian, what do you do, yeah. Megan? Take it away. <laughs> I'm going to put the mic down. All right. All right. Um, it's, it's funny. It's still up. I'm still. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> One of the things you just said I thought is a good place to enter that conversation because. Uh, what he does there is sort of an, a good example of what I think a lot of Christians do. I mean, a lot of people do this in general that haven't been schooled in um, uh, in in how to argue in a in sort of a I don't know I was going to say in, in an intelligent way, but I guess maybe just in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. Um, don't embrace rhetoric and then yeah. let logic go by the wayside. Like it's so many Christians, I feel like almost because they almost have been taught to that intellectualism is the enemy of the Bible or the enemy of God's truth. They sort of, they never bother about listening to somebody else and and paying attention to logic and then arguing from that front. And instead they say something like, I'm more, I'm more concerned about what is it they, I'm less concerned about the ages of rock and more concerned with the rock of ages. Like, yeah, okay, great. But that doesn't mean anything, you know, and and it's illogical and, and you know, it's actually disrespectful when you say something like that, just, just kind of lean on these little sound bites that you may have heard on a news organization or, uh, preacher's point of view in church or something like that. Um, instead of doing that, really listen to, and you've actually brought this up in a, in a previous podcast, I mm-hmm. think, um, the one about, um, thank you for smoking. Thank you for smoking. Exactly. Which I thought was really good advice for how to argue. Like think less about, um, what you're going to say next and, and proving your own point and instead listen to what the other person is saying. I mean, God calls us to love one another and to love our enemies. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially if you if you view the person that you're talking to is as an enemy because they have an opposing viewpoint, even more reason to listen to them, to, to um, respect what they're saying, to not yell at them, to not talk over them, to not uh, throw uh, sound bites at them that, you know, are just you know, little rhetorical catchphrases mm-hmm. and bits of humor that, you know, I mean, that's not being respectful, I don't think. So, um, so that's one thing. And the, the other thing I would say is that, and I kind of touched on this a minute ago, is I think a lot of Christians have been taught that um, they don't need to pay attention to opposing viewpoints or they don't need to learn about philosophy. They don't need to learn about uh, formal ethics training. They don't need to study logic. They don't need to study science. Um, or if they do, they almost have sort of a um, confrontational viewpoint about that. Almost as if uh, you you should know just enough to argue against. Exactly. And that is all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
And and that's a bad idea because I think it, that, that's one of the reasons why some people get this idea. I, and actually, I know this was one of the reasons that I struggled with becoming a Christian for a long time because I love learning. I, I value um, a lot of different you know viewpoints from different authors. And I got the impression from a lot of Christians that I had to sort of check my brain at the door when I mm-hmm. became a Christian. And I want to... Say to anybody out there who thinks that or to a non-Christian who's gotten that impression, that is not of God. God gave us a brain. I think he loves when we use it. Um, And I I think... It, I think why we do that is it, it comes out of a place of insecurity because we don't we haven't studied we we don't necessarily know about um, uh, I guess ways to really study the Bible critically which isn't to say that we're criticizing the Bible but just to think about it in a critical way mm. and to understand um, what it is our faith is really based on I think a lot of people think about their faith um, I don't think they realize this but I think they think of Christianity as, as a superstition less than a faith they don't realize that yeah. but a superstition is um, like a, a set of beliefs that you have that's ba- not based on logic that's based on sort of completely uh, out of the blue things whereas um, yeah there obviously there's our faith is it's a religion and there's a lot of supernatural stuff there but but there's nothing about Christianity that says that we can't think about it in a logical way the same way that we might approach science the same way we might approach philosophy um i think the more i've learned about christianity the more or excuse me the more i've learned in school in in every uh, in every school of thought the more it has has supported my faith and i think we shouldn't be afraid to learn about the sciences and to listen to opposing viewpoints and to read um viewpoints and opinions from atheists and from and from people of other religious faiths um, because we should have faith if we're Christian we should have faith that God is bigger than those ideas and that mm-hmm. the, if the Bible is true we can have the freedom to read about these things um, and then to think about them critically and then to bring them back to the Bible and pray about them and seek discernment so that mm-hmm. we um, you know are always staying on track with the truth but that we don't have to censor um, other people I guess yeah. is what I'm saying so um, I'm talking a lot so that's fine. This is this is. I've been talking the whole episode. This uh, this is your this is your moment to shine. Um, yeah, there's uh, actually I'll, I'll I'll hold off on that uh, until later. But uh, but one thing that I will say is uh, there there's a section in Inherit the Wind that I I always want to get up and and clap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's and it comes from it comes from Drummond and it's when he's making Brady look bad. Mm-hmm. But they're talking about they're talking about the brain. That mm-hmm. God gave us. Right. And if God, you know, if God didn't want, I, I say this in regards to art all the time, mm-hmm. uh, that like, you know, do you, if God didn't want us to think critically about one thing or another, then why did he get, why did he curse us <laughs> with the ability to think? Right. You know what I mean? Like he gave us a brain and yet we just act as if, well, that's done. Right. You know, and uh, and yeah, we just we choose not to not to use it for anything. Right. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, that was that was one thing I wanted to chime in yeah. uh, with. But uh, do you have do you have any other uh, any other ideas, any other uh, advice for for people? Yeah, I'd say um, go, kind of going off what you said again, um, 
God gave us a brain and that's not to say that we can't use it for ill. I mean, mm-hmm. we clearly do a lot of the time the same way that God gave us uh, a body and sexuality and, and there's a way mm-hmm. that we can use that f- according to God's purpose and there's obviously a way that a lot of people use it that isn't going according to God's purpose and that I think that same thing is true of the brain and I think... Um, I think we contend because we're human and because we um, are prideful. I think we can tend to once we start learning about things and maybe even if we haven't learned that much, we just we, we think that we are right. And as Christians, mm-hmm. a lot of the time we think, well, because I'm right, um, I can kind of steamroll other people. I, I yeah. know they're wrong. I know God is right. Um, and uh, and so I, I think it's easy to confuse faith and belief in God's rightness mm. with our rightness. Like, oh my, yes. Yeah, and and so again, I would urge people to, in conversation and in, in debates, to to have an air of humility and remember that um, you could easily be wrong about a lot of ideas and, mm. and you might not be as learned as the person you're talking to and that there's no reason to get emotional and offended no. um, by the person disagreeing with you because... Um, you're just you. The only thing that's good in you is, is what is in you of God. And God mm-hmm. loves this other person that you're talking to. And, um, and I, I think it's just, I think remembering that it's not you that you have to defend. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be defensive of yourself and your ideas. I think remembering that, um, that the important thing is, is what tr- is true about God will, mm-hmm. will help you to not get so emotional and to get angry at people and to get, um, I think that's that's a pitfall of having these these tough conversations is it tends to get really emotional and heated mm-hmm. and um and I think it, it comes out of a place of pride and feeling like you know we're we're hurt and disrespected and I think um you know we're supposed to be slow to anger and we're supposed to be um you know not easily angered and and we should I think it's just important to remember that we're defending God in the end it's not we're not we're not defending ourselves we're not mm-hmm. we're not trying to prove our point um which I think can end up with a lot of that. That's when it turns into an, a, just a, a pure contemptuous argument a lot of the time. Right. With just two people just shouting at each exactly. other. Um, and I think, I think the idea of humility is, uh, is the, is, is kind of the key here mm-hmm. because, um, there is nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. You're not going to know every, just because you happen to be the proponent of this thing mm-hmm. doesn't mean you know every aspect of it. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, um, I realize that we're talking more about inherit the wind than we are about Agora, but, um, but because there's so much clear debate going on in inherit the wind, I I wanted to to talk about the, the fact that the reason that Brady gets so tripped up on the stand is because I think he's a little prideful. I can't say maybe that I, that I blame him because the entire town is talking about how he's a frig, you know he's a friggin' prophet and all these other things and he's their representative of God and so you can get a little puffed up, but if somebody but then when somebody asks you a question as the and he was, was on the stand as a an expert on the Bible mm-hmm. and if somebody and then if if Drummond asks him a question that he doesn't know the answer mm-hmm. to he won't say I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because he can't say, I don't know. Instead, he starts theorizing right there in front of everybody. <laughs> right. And that's where you get into trouble. Yeah. Because then you're going to, oh, man. Because then once you start with that, once you start weaving that tangled web, mm-hmm. 
not necessarily of deceit, but like once you start doing that, you're going to start getting bigger and bigger and then they're going to, and then before you know it, you wind up with, with people laughing at you. Yeah, he looks like a fool. Yeah, there is, there's nothing wrong and I think that there is an inherent humility in saying, you know what, I don't know the exactly. answer to that. My not knowing the answer doesn't mean there isn't one. Exactly. It means that in my, in my life, I have not run across it. I'll look, f- you know, hopefully you'll be in a position to to talk to that person later and you can say, I'll look it up. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to some other people. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing wrong with saying that, mm-hmm. you know. I and mean, in my experience, that's one of the ways to gain the trust of the person you're talking to. Yeah. I mean, and they're not you know, they're not used to hearing that, especially from a Christian. I think a lot of people, again, they forget that they're they're not in authority. God's in authority. And mm-hmm. instead they try and act like they're the authority on everything. And like, yeah. you don't have to do that. It's perfectly okay for you to say, I don't know. And, and people will totally respect that. And the idea of setting yourself up as being the same as God, and now we'll, we'll go back to, to Agora is that is, that is how Cyril got his power mm-hmm. is he, I mean, there might be a certain degree of cynicism where he just realizes, okay, if I just say this, these idiots will just believe it. But he, he is allowed to have power by the other Christians confusing him as the representative of God for God himself. Mm-hmm. He's a per, he's a he's a he's a man he's a man in power. That is the most easily corruptible person <laughs> in the world. Right. And yet because of because of his position none of the none of the the Christians below him or even the Christians next to him mm-hmm. or even the Christians above him mm-hmm. are willing to question that. Yeah. And if they had and actually said, you know what? I don't find any justification for what he is doing. Right. I don't see any justification for what he is saying. If they had done that and recognized that he's just a guy who may have meant well early on, mm-hmm. but has been corrupted, then he would not, then Hypatia might have remained alive, and, and who knows? But as it happens, when the film is over, it says that Cyril got even more powerful, and he right. basically took over the entire city. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I think that's the key with, with, uh, and, and of course that's what happens with, with Brady in the town. And so I think this is where, you know, a a key thing is you're merely God's ambassador right now in this discussion that doesn't make you God. And if you, if you happen to not know something or if you make a point that uh, you could have made that better, that doesn't speak about God's weakness. It speaks about maybe your own but there's nothing wrong with not knowing everything mm-hmm. and and just as long as you are able to keep those two separate i think you'll still be able to achieve a certain level of humility yeah absolutely. Um, which is what you absolutely need in these mm-hmm. things yeah and um, we don't have to knee jerk i mean so many christians do that even now we don't have to knee jerk defend members of our own tribe by oh default my. you know i mean we do a lot of bad stuff yeah um like you said, Christians aren't God. We're not, we shouldn't be setting ourselves up as such. And when a member of our faith is, is acting in such a way that he's, uh, he's sort of out to support his own ideas or his own political party or his own uh, cultural movement or something. And, and it's kind of gotten away from God and from, um, from the, the values in the Bible. I think mm-hmm. we have every right to say, Hey, you know, I don't agree with that. And, yeah. and if, when people come to us and say, Hey, well, well then what do you think, you know, if you're a Christian, what do you think of so-and-so, you know, well, what about his ideas? You can say, mm. I don't agree with those ideas, you know, just cause yeah. they're a Christian doesn't mean you have to defend them. You know, don't feel the need to do that. And there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, 
there's a lot of differing opinions in our faith. And again, it doesn't mean you have to put that other person down, but you don't have to. We're, we're not all the same. We don't mm. all have to just defend each other and agree on absolutely every little thing. Yeah. Especially when someone is being clearly ignorant. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to defend Pat Robertson. No, please. In don't. fact, let's not, let's yeah. all not. <laughs> let's just not do that. Um, but uh, now uh, we, we probably should uh, come to a close here. But uh, but was there anything that you uh, anything anything else that you wanted to say? Something that's uh, very important for uh, for people to to keep in mind as they go into uh, a discussion or a debate with uh, with a non Christian. Um, I would I'd say just to wrap up and again. I think it's important to a lot of what I come from in debate is, is from a completely non-religious position. I've Mm -hmm. been trained just in, in um, logic and ethics and things like that, but it is so important to, to pray and and ask the Holy spirit to be present in those conversations because Mm -hmm. ultimately you can know everything. You can study uh, systematic theology and ethics and all of these things, but ultimately like you might not know the best way to reach this person. You know, you might be the smartest person on earth. That's not ultimately what's going to serve you. Um, Ultimately the, the Holy spirit is going to empower you with the knowledge and the wisdom. Um, if you ask for it to, to really reach that person in the way that, that God intends and, um, and to communicate in a truly loving, um, welcoming spirit. So I would, I would urge anybody who's entering a conversation to be, um, to, to be patient and to be, um, you know, have a, a prayerful mind throughout and, mm. um, and don't just get caught up in the whirlwind of, of argument, really continue to try and remember that it's not about you. Um, and, and yeah, just, just, um, be open to the way the spirit might move you. It might not be that you're supposed to argue in the way that you really want to, or, or yeah. say the things that are going to prove your case. That might not be the best yeah. way. So yeah, I just say to remember that. Um, and a lot of these principles, of course, uh, the prayer and Holy spirit part, uh, that certain people will probably discard, but a lot of these principles can be used. Anyone can use them. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, these are things I learned, you know, yeah. Aside from the Holy Spirit stuff, those are things I learned before I became a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you should respect someone you're talking to and listen to them regardless of your religious background. Absolutely. Which I will, uh, I will, I will end on this note and then we'll actually, we'll go on a, a, uh, you know, where people can find your work and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, there is a character in inherit the wind and here's the thing. You might be completely on board with Drummond. You might be completely on board with Brady. But the one person no one's on board with is Hornbeck. <laughs> Played by Gene Kelly. He's the cynical reporter mm-hmm. who agrees with Cates. He agrees with Drummond. He has total contempt for the people of this town and Brady and that whole mindset. And the whole time he's just he just sits back... And makes his little snide comments and just feels superior to all the proceedings. And by the end of the film, Drummond, and the thing is they're theoretically on the same side. Drummond is just done Mm -hmm. with Hornbeck. He cannot stand this guy because... This because that the worst attitude you can take in any discussion, whether you are Christian, whether you are atheist, whether you are Buddhist, whether you're agnostic, it does not matter. The worst position you can take is that I'm the best guy here. Nobody's got it worked out except me. Mm -hmm. And and just acting as if as if nothing. All these people are. And you can certainly act it with people 
in your own faith. I mean, you like you and I even kind of in talk like with me talking about Pat Robertson. It's easy to to seem very to to affect an, a, a superior air mm-hmm. and a, and a legit superior mindset towards people who agree with you. But ultimately, if you do that, no one has any use for you. Mm-hmm. You're not doing anybody any good. Certainly not yourself. Certainly not whatever you happen to believe. Nobody likes Hornbeck. So don't be Hornbeck. Don't be Hornbeck. That, 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 that's one of the big <laughs> things that I get out of that movie. It's just like, because honestly, living in Los Angeles, I've met a lot of Hornbecks. It's so cool to be cynical now, too. Oh, very much that so. Is, that makes you so cool. Thankfully, Conan O'Brien, when he left The Tonight Show, talked about how you shouldn't be cynical. Yeah. And so maybe he uh, struck a blow against all the <laughs> Hornbecks of the world. Um, now, real quick, are there any, uh, are there any like, good apologetics uh, books or resources that you would recommend? Um, the two that I recommend, um, because they've been so helpful to me, are, uh, you've already mentioned them, well, mm-hmm. you mentioned the authors, but Tim Keller's The Reason for God is, yeah. I think, a great resource, and you don't have to read it from beginning to end. There's sections that go into things like, you know, if God is good, why does why do bad things happen to good people, right. and, and why do we suffer, and, and some just basics that you, really practical questions that you hear all the time um, mm-hmm. from people that are sort of searching, and, and that, that they are really helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Um even after I became a Christian and, and thought I had already answered those questions, yeah. it was like realized I hadn't really. So that was really helpful. And then also um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis mm. is one of my all-time favorites. I think some people, um, it, it can be kind of hard to get into, but no. um, I would really encourage anyone. His his theology is, is super solid. Um He's a great writer. He's funny, yeah. um, and uh, and again, it's it's set up in chapters so that you can go right to the issue that you think um, you know that someone is approaching you about, and and read only that. And that's that's was really helpful to me, also. Mere Christianity, I, w- I personally would recommend reading it from beginning to end because he does build on ideas. True, yes, um, he does. You, you can jump to something, but. Um, and still get something out of it, but uh, but I. And would why recommend. wouldn't you read it from beginning to end? It's a great book. It's man, he's just so very British. Um, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, and and one thing that I'll say, I'll I'll, I'll maybe I'll put up a, a link to this blog. But a while ago, I wrote I wrote a blog um, called "How I Abused Apologetics," um, and that's the thing is the, these rec- these books and and any other website or or whatever that you find. Um, you can use them as, as weapons or ammunition mm-hmm. and be like, oh, man, that's a good point. I'll have to write that down and mm-hmm. I can use it against someone. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's a thing you can do. But they, they can also be used for your own edification just to get you thinking mm-hmm. a, a different way uh, or at least a more in-depth way about about the Bible and about God. And, you know, and and if you happen to gain something you can use in a discussion, that's great. Right. But like. I don't know if ever, if ever looking is like, all right, weapons, I need weapons, I need <laughs> yeah. ammo, I need, you know, like that's... Wrong way to go yeah. into this. That's, uh, that's Cyril talking. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, and that's, that's ammonious talking. Like you can't, you can't have that. That's, it's a, it's a very bad, attitude, a very bad mindset to, <laughs> to approach anybody, uh, anybody with. So, um, well, Megan, uh, you, as we mentioned, uh, what seems like forever ago, uh, <laughs> you are a, a graphic designer, among other things. Looking uh, for work. Looking for work. Uh, and get me I to can, do something, I'll do it. I can personally attest <laughs> to, uh, I'm trying to give you a nice build up here, <laughs> Megan. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I can personally attest to how great her work is. She designed a, a poster for uh, one of the Battleship Pretension live shows that was really beautiful and really uh, got a lot of compliments on it. Uh, and so she's very good. 
Uh, if you need uh, any kind of uh, work, uh, graphic design work done, I recommend seeking her out. Where can people find you online, Megan? You can look at my website um, and see some of the work I've done at meganwitzke.com, which is M-E-G-H-A-N-W-I-T-Z-K-E. It's a weird name. There is nothing easy about no, your name. Even the Megan screws people up. I know. Me- okay, M- Megan with an H, like Meg Han Solo. That's the way to remember that. And, uh, yeah, I love that little All tidbit. Right then. Yep. And uh, and then my email is the same. It's uh, meganwitzke at gmail.com, spelled the same way as before, obviously. Okay. And then I'm also on Twitter at Megan Witzke. All right. Um, and if you're, uh, if you, I'm, I'm somebody who, and anytime somebody spells something, it's like, okay, well, that you might as well yeah. have said nothing because <laughs> uh, I'm not good with forming things in my head. Um, and so, uh, but if you're looking for spelling and stuff and, and website info, we'll have links on the site and all mm-hmm. that. But uh, in the meantime, uh, yeah, Megan, thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, it's it was been a lovely. Lot of, a lot of fun. Uh, and thanks everybody for listening. You can, of course, email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. Uh, you can go to morethanonelesson.com and see the very, uh, we've got videos on there now. You can go, you can find a link to the forum. There's some good discussions uh, happening over there. Uh, there's new blogs uh, being written. Uh, there's a recent one about uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which, by the way, go go see that in the theater. Awesome. It's a lot of fun, and it, it's better than The Expendables. It's better than Eat, Pray, Love. Just go see it, all right? Just show show Hollywood that they should keep making movies like this. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so you can, you can find me at all those, uh, all those places. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening and uh, I'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.